0: Turn in your Bibles Bibles to 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. Once again this morning, we've been in a love series here at Lakeside, and we have been using 1 Corinthians 13 as our guide as we have been walking through this powerful love chapter. Uh, A couple was driving through the country, and they had gotten to quarreling. You never quarrel, do you? With your mate, your spouse, your loved one, huh? You don't argue, you don't, Becky and I, Becky and I, thank God, we've never, ever had a fight, we never fight, we just have intense fellowship. This couple was quarreling. And they were bickering back and forth, arguing back and forth, and now it had resorted to name-calling. They drove by a barnyard, they drove by a farm where all the animals were out uh, uh, in the mud, and uh, uh, the woman said, hey, uh, look, some of your relatives are out there. And he quickly said, yeah, uh, there's my mother-in-law. Poor mother-in-laws. They get such a bad rap. I was blessed with the most incredible mother-in-law who is now with the Lord and raised eight children as a widow. But God was faithful to her. She served the Lord and raised all eight children all living for Jesus to this day. And because of her loyal love, because of her faithfulness, God introduced her to a new love after 22 years of being a widow and raising those eight children. Many of you know the story. She ended up marrying my grandpa, who was also a widower. (laughs) And both due to death, he saw how good Becky was treating me. And soon after we got married, he went out on a date with Becky's mother. I went to a Tiger baseball game with her brother. We came back. And Becky came running to me and said, Phil, Phil, your grandfather on one date just asked my mother to marry him. (laughs) I came to my 75-year-old grandfather and I said, Grandpa, what did you do? He said, Phil, when you get to this age, you just can't fool around any longer. My Bible and your Bible says that 3,000 years ago, two women, two women, two women, one, a mother-in-law, was walking a lonely, dusty road from the nation of Moab around the top of the Dead Sea to make it back to the Promised Land, to the town of Bethlehem. The older of the two women felt that all of her misery was a sign from God. You see, years previous, she had left Moab, or had left God's land, the promised land for Moab. She had left Israel full. She's now returning empty. She had left married. She's now returning a widow. She had left with two sons. She's now returning motherless. She had left with the name Naomi, which means pleasant. She's now returning with the name Mara, which means bitter. She started her journey with her two daughter-in-laws. But now one has left and returned home and she's left with only one other daughter-in-law and she's wondering when that daughter-in-law is going to leave. What's that daughter-in-law's name? But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. I have repeated this verse at more weddings than I can count. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. You know, God's Word describes love as a many-faceted diamond. There's many dimensions to love. Ruth portrays one of those facets loyal love loyal love that's where we're going this morning look with me again at first Corinthians 13 love is very patient and kind never jealous or envious never boastful or proud never haughty or selfish or rude love does not demand its own way it's not irritable or touchy It does not hold grudges and will hardly even notice when others do it wrong. It is never glad about injustice, but rejoices whenever truth wins out. If you love someone, you will be loyal to him, no matter what the cost. Would you circle, highlight, or underscore those words? You will be loyal to him, or her, no matter what the cost. You will always believe in him, always expect the best of him, always stand your ground in defending him. Look at verse 8, underline that too. Love never fails. The Lord has laid a message on your pastor's heart. Your pastor comes to you very concerned about marriages in this church. I would not allow a guest speaker, I would not allow an evangelist to speak this message to you. God has called me, God has appointed me to be your pastor, and I love you desperately. So I speak a very sober, serious message to you this morning that'll meet you right where you live, a very pastoral message that I know, that I know, that I know that God has laid upon your pastor's heart. I've titled it Lifetime Lovers. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, hide me behind your glory. Let me speak in love, your love. Give me the words to speak Help people not see me. Help people see Jesus. In your name we pray it. Amen. Loyal love, write it down, Our faithfulness should be the bedrock of our most important relationship in life, our walk with God. Whether you're married or single, let me speak to you right now on faithfulness. Do you want God to be faithful to you? then you need to be faithful to Him. Faithful in talking to Him in prayer. Faithful in walking with Him in His Word. Trusting and obeying His promises, His commandments. Faithfulness to God is being also faithful to His house. As you are today. I notice a lot of empty pews this morning. It's all because of the weather, I'll guarantee you. Yeah. Faithfulness to God is being faithful to His house. Faithful in worship. Faithful in ministry. Faithful in tithing. Faithful in giving. The Bible says in Hebrews 10, let us not neglect our church meetings as some people do, but encourage and warn each other, especially now, that the day of His coming back again is drawing near. Imagine with me if we applied the same standards of faithfulness that we expect from others, or that we apply to daily living, if we applied those same standards to church faithfulness, just imagine with me for a moment. Imagine if your, if your car that you're going out to the parking lot to in a bit, if it started just one out of three times, would you consider it faithful? If your refrigerator, you know, quit every now and then, would you consider it faithful? You know, if your water heater uh, greets you with cold water, a cold shower, uh, 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 one or two mornings a week, would you call it loyal, faithful, dependable? If you missed paying your taxes every so often, would the IRS say, well, two out of three years ain't so bad. If you didn't show up at work tomorrow morning, if you didn't show up two or three times uh, a a month, uh, would your company call you faithful? If you aren't faithful to God's house, uh, why should He be faithful to yours? Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 9.24, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run? But only one, only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize now we're not competing against one another in the race of faith that God has called us to but God is wanting us to run like winners he was wanting us to to finish strong there's too much half-hearted lukewarm passive milk toast stagnant uh, lethargic uh, apathetical running the race today in the church Years ago, in our gymnasium I forget what the fundraiser was uh, We had some kind of missions fundraiser, and there was a wheelchair race, a wheelchair race and an obstacle course. And uh, most of you that know me very well, you, you know that um, I don't mind losing. No, I'm, I'm highly, highly competitive. I'm, ter- I'm cursed with that. I got to win. And I was winning. And uh, it was a whole bunch of us men. I've never been in a wheelchair before. And we were rounding a curve. And all of a sudden, my wheelchair just stopped. I wasn't budging. It wasn't moving. I couldn't figure it out. And then I got angry. And I stood up to pick it up to throw it across the finish line. And then I realized Mike Laws, who was behind me, I don't know if Mike's here this morning, but Mike Laws, who was behind me, had reached out and grabbed the brake. on a, I never knew wheelchairs had brakes. And pulled the brake, and that thing just wasn't going. How are you running the race that God has set before you? Each of us have been called to a particular course to run, a particular ministry, a particular destiny, God has appointed, God has called, God has destined you and I to run a race of faith. For some, like me, it's pastoring, it's ministering. For you, it's to be a soul winner at your factory. For you, it's to be a father. For you, it's to be a wife. For you, what has God called you to? How are you running the race that God has set before you? Our race of faithfulness is not won by half-heartedness or compromise. Just ask Adam and Eve who walked with God and then tossed it aside for a piece of fruit. Just ask Samson who knew the Holy Spirit of God. He knew the empowering of the Holy Spirit. He performed incredible, miracle feats of strength. And then he lost out with God in the lap of Delilah. Just ask Judas. Judas was there when the blind were healed and could see. Judas was there when the lame, (laughs) the crippled uh, were healed and they could walk. Judas was there when the dead were raised back to life once again. Yet Judas chose to turn his back on Jesus, his only Savior, his only Lord. Don't tell me that compromise can't happen. Don't tell me once saved, always saved. That's the most damnable doctrine that's being espoused out there today, and it's leading more souls to hell than any other doctrine. I've seen you when you had it, and I've seen you when you don't. My Bible, Paul the Apostle, if there was a chance of once saved, always saved, eternal security, why would he say, run the race that is set before you, fight the good fights? Finish strong! Why would he say that? Why would he say that? The church has never before, the church has never before needs passion. I'm not talking about the perfume called passion. We need a Holy Ghost passion for praise and ministry and faithfulness and, and, and witnessing as never before to press into the presence of our almighty God. Write it down with me. Faithfulness, loyal love, being a lifetime lover is the number one aspect of marriage. God's Word emphasizes. Husband and wife were quarreling. He finally got upset, got angry. He shouted at her. If it wasn't for my money, those nice clothes that you wear wouldn't be here. If it wasn't for my money, that nice set of wheels that you drive wouldn't be here. If it wasn't for my money, this nice house wouldn't be here. She looked at him and said, if it wasn't for your money, I wouldn't be here. There is no subject, there is no subject that the church has either avoided or compromised with than when it comes to marital commitment, divorce, and remarriage. Let's embark upon that right now. I'm not going to give you a lesson from philosophy or psychology. I'm not going to give you personal opinion. My moral and my holy spiritual compass is the Word of God. Matthew 19, verse 3. Some Pharisees, the Pharisees, you can write a note, were the super spiritual Holy Joe crowd of Jesus' day legalists. They came to him to test him, to put Jesus in a corner. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? For any and every reason. Listen to Jesus' answer. Jesus said, haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female? He didn't make them Caitlyn Jenner. No gender bending here. He made them male and female and said for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united circle the word united it's a key word in that passage and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh so they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, circle the word joined, let no one separate. Jesus reminds us that God's original intention, God's original plan, His design for marriage has always, always, always been permanence, always been commitment, always been lifetime lovers. That word united and that word joined, that you circle, means stuck like glue. Interview any of our mid-marriages here at Lakeside that came on the mid-married retreat that Becky and I hosted this summer out at our cottage. We had about 30 mid-marrieds at our cottage this summer in a very intimate weekend marriage retreat. And pastor tries to be creative. And I don't want to just teach all the time. I want them to enjoy and experience active participation experiences. I have found that if the student is doing something while I'm saying something, they will remember it forever. And our poor mid-marrieds, if you would ask them, what's the number one thing you remember from Pastor and Becky's mid-marriage retreat, they'll look at you painfully and say, stuck together like Glue. <laughs> what is that all about, preacher? Well, I got this great creative idea that while I was teaching, that this Hebrew word and the Greek word literally means, you know, united, joined, stuck together like glue. I thought while I would teach that, I would have the guys uh, put glue in between their fingers. And then the wife hold it together. And I thought, you know, Elmer's white glue, that's too sissified. They need super glue. I forgot how powerful, now I've, I've gotten super glue on my fingers and then I just peel it off later, you should have heard some of those men, talk about a bunch of wimps, I thought there were some guys crying out there, and I'll never do it again, I'll never, you know, some things work, some things don't, I'll never ever do it again, but let me tell you, those married couples will remember it for the rest of their life. Stuck together like glue. What is God teaching us? What is the Bible teaching us there? When those fingers are separated, it hurts. It's painful. God is not condemning. Don't misconstrue or be confused. That when the warnings of Scripture about divorce are replete within God's Word, do not confuse that with the aspect that God is unhappy. God is angry. God is condemning the divorcee. God knows the pain of the ripping. God knows the pain of breaking asunder what God has joined together. The pain that it brings hearts, the heartbreak, the pain, the tragedy that it brings children, adult children, and children's children. You see, our culture today views marriage with an escape clause. Holy vows, like till death do us part, have become a mere formality. They've become conditional. Today it's more like till disagreement do us part. Till you lose your good looks do us part. Till times get tough do us part. Till I find somebody better do us part. Till divorce do us part. Yeah, I know that working, working uh, through is harder than, 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 than walking out, but it's God's way. Don't quit. Hang tough. Stay at it. It's worth it. It's worth it for your children. It's worth it for your children's children. It's worth it for your church. It's worth it for the kingdom of God. It's worth it for God. Choose to remove the big D word from your vocabulary and from your thinking. Make a vow. And if you haven't done so already, do it today with your spouse. Make a vow to never think divorce or talk divorce or use it as leverage or use it as a threatening uh, a word within your vocabulary. View it as the dirtiest word in the English language. Why? Because divorce is the death of a relationship. Divorce can be the death of a family. When you're thinking and talking divorce, you're thinking and talking death. If you're using divorce, The word divorce as a weapon. In the name of Jesus, stop it. The sooner you stop thinking and talking divorce, the sooner you'll develop a relationship, an avenue through which God can work and bring the miracle, the sooner you'll bring love and trust within your home. Paul says, continuing on in 1 Corinthians 7, To the married, I give this command, not I but the Lord, a wife must not separate from her husband. But if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he's willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they're holy. What's God's word saying here? He's saying, remain committed to your vows, against all, vow, all, all obstacles, against all hindrances. Remain committed to your vows, in sickness and in health, for richer or for poor, for better or for worse, remain committed. Keep your vows. Keeping your vows is obedience to God. And God promises blessings to the obedient. Keeping your vows blesses your children. They have an example. They never have an excuse to divorce their spouse. Keeping your vows uh, relays a family legacy that reaches down into future generations. That there's no stigma or example of divorce within the tribe, within the home. Keeping your vows is the greatest security you can ever give your children. Divorce has become a national tragedy in America. Over a million children this year will see mommy and daddy divorce and their family broken. Keeping your vows maintains a sacred legacy. Keeping your vows honors Christ before the world. What does the Bible compare marriage to? How much Jesus loves his church. Every divorce says to the world, Christ does not love his church. Your marriage is a living picture of Jesus' love for his bride, the church. And even if you're married to a non-Christian, an unbeliever, keep your vows... God's Word says that gives God a foothold in which He can work, in which His Holy Spirit can sanctify your children, your your spouse, your home. Hear me in this. True Christ followers, true Christians, where both the husband and the wife are Christians, true Christ followers, they never, ever divorce doesn't happen. It's impossible. Because if they're true Christians, they crucify self and they let Jesus be Jesus within them. Selfishness is the number one killer of marriages. At the root, at the core of every divorce, you will find a self-centered, self-directed, self-willed spirit at work. And that is not a Christian. True Christians forgive. They reconcile. They seek healing. They seek restoration. They work together. Divorce is not really an issue of psychology. It is ultimately not an issue of counseling. It's not an issue of of pragmatic compatibility. True marriage is an issue. And where there's divorce, it's a true issue that smacks at the spiritual. If you want to heal your marriage, surrender to Jesus. Submit to Jesus. Get a brand new passion for Jesus. Press into the presence of the Lord The number one answer for restoring your marriage I thank God for counseling. I thank God for books. I thank God for videos and all the media that we have today, all the experts we have today, all the answers we have today. But if you want to really heal and restore your marriage, come back to Jesus. Surrender to Jesus. Let Jesus be Jesus in you. No longer you, but Him. And you'll see resurrection power flow through your marriage and flow through your home. For without Him, we can do nothing but with Him. All things are possible to them that believe. At heart, it's a spiritual issue. Though God's plan for marriage has always been commitment, the church is often confronted with the issues of divorce and remarriage. Let me speak on divorce and remarriage right now. What does God's Word say about divorce and remarriage? There's hardly any issue that's addressed in the church today That can be in a context of deep extremes. On one hand, you'll come to churches that are so adamant against divorce. There is no room for any divorce. There is never any room for remarriage. And divorcees are made to feel like second-class citizens. And they're relegated... To the backside of the church, if allowed at all to be in the church, they're condemned, they're made to feel guilty, and I'm here to tell you that is not God's Word. That is not the heart of God. On the other hand, you can go to churches on the other extreme, and they've become so loose, so footloose with the teachings of God's Holy Word. And divorce has become so prevalent in that body of Christ, they've taken the attitude, if you can't beat them, join them. How anybody can divorce. I mean, if you're sitting in the pew and you look across the aisle and Sister Jones looks a lot better than the Mrs. Smith that you're married to, hey, try it. You'll like it. And I want you to know that is not the heart of God. It's not God's Word. Hardly an issue with more extremes. Let's heed the word of the Lord. What does God say? 1 Corinthians 7 verse 15. But if the unbeliever, talking about the spouse, leaves, let it be so. The brother or the sister is not bound in such circumstances. God, this is a key principle in divorce and remarriage. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? I hope that you see from the teachings of Jesus, the teachings of the Apostle Paul, I hope you can see that God's word reveals that the marital covenant can be nullified and made void. What was the circumstance that Jesus cited for divorce? What was the only reason for divorce that Jesus cited? Help me out. Adultery. Very good. What was the, it's called the Pauline privilege. What is the reason for divorce that the Apostle Paul cites? See, this is where you're you're drawing a blank. I got it spelled out on the screen for you there. Abandonment. Desertion. Desertion. Yeah. But does adultery and desertion have to automatically end a marriage? Does adultery and desertion automatically put the death knell to a marriage? No! No! Praise God that we can be grace givers. Thank God that we can move in forgiveness. The power of mercy. The power of love. The power of reconciliation. Hallelujah! With the Lord's help, uh, you can heal and restore your marriage. Now, what about other reasons for divorce? This is what the church is being confronted with today. Your pastor is being very practical with you. He's being teaching-oriented. We're doing group counseling. You need to know what comes knocking on our doors. What do you do when a wife comes to you? Her husband has not abandoned her. Her husband has not committed adultery. But he is hooked and deeply addicted to drugs say crack cocaine and will not seek rehabilitation will not seek restoration and it's abusive to the home the marriage what do you do what do you do when there is abuse to the spouse and the children or how about this issue when this comes knocking on your door You've got, a, you've got a couple, or you've got an individual that comes down to your altar, accepts Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior in their heart, and before they became a Christian, they were divorced. Maybe even the guilty party. Now they come to our church, they want to be a, a, a Christian, and now they fall in love with one of our girls here. What decision do you make? What is God's wisdom in this? 1 Corinthians 7, verse 15. Again, look on the screen. The brother or the sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. When repeated attempts at marital restoration have failed and since divorce is allowed in scripture for the innocent spouse, for the issues of adultery and desertion, surely God would not force a family to be subjected to habitual abuse, habitual incest. Surely divorce would be allowed. Since divorce nullifies the marital covenant, since Paul says in verse 9, it's better to marry than to burn with passion, a remarriage in my perspective upon my study of holy writ can be elected by those that are deemed innocent victims, and if the divorce occurred before a person became born again, and reconciliation with their former spouse is not possible, especially if that former spouse is now already married, then 2 Corinthians 5.17 kicks in, therefore if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation, old things have passed away, behold all things have been come new you see as a church we're confronted with these facts us pastors deal with this all the time fact number one most people most people will marry again whether whether or not they have biblical grounds so we got that attending our churches today then fact number two kicks in over 75% of those who divorce and remarry again will end up with a second divorce or a third divorce. Christian divorcee, let me speak to your heart. I want you to know that you are welcome, 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 welcome at Lakeside Assembly of God. God desperately loves you. I desperately love you. We love you. This is a grace-giving church. We will warn, we will preach. Most divorcees that I counsel with will tell me, right on, Pastor, I want people to know the heartbreak of divorce. Pastor, maintain the authority of God's Word at Lakeside. Christian divorcee, let me speak to your heart, once a divorce is final, there should come a long season of self-examination there should come a long waiting period rebound romances are not only real in high school they're very real with midlife people that get divorced rebound romances You need to understand the stages of divorce recovery. I don't have time to go in length, but there's the shock stage, there's the storm stage, the search stage, the sequel stage. Ask yourself, during divorce recovery, did your behavior substantially contribute to the failure of your marriage? Two things will come from this. You'll make a wiser decision in the future, And if God needs to change your behavior, you give God allowance to do so. My best, best buddy ever. We're no longer buds today because of choices he made. My best buddy ever. A pastor, associate, associate pastor who also worked in the secular world. He ran off with his secretary at the company he thought that he'd leave his problems behind two years into his new marriage he sat down with me and he said you know what Phil I thought I'd leave all my problems behind because of remarriage you know what Phil I still have the same problems you know what Phil what the common denominator is me myself I Marriage cannot make you 100% happy. Marriage cannot make you 100% satisfied. If you are marrying to find the perfect person to be perfectly satisfied, you're going to have a major letdown. Married couples out there have discovered they haven't married the perfect person and they ain't perfect either. There's only one that perfectly satisfies. There's only one that's 100% perfect. Fall in love with him. He'll never let you down. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. You can count on him. He is faithful. Only Jesus can satisfy your soul. You'll remember that? You'll enter the next marriage as a giver and not a taker because there's only one thing that's worse than, than, than not being married. What's the one thing that's, that's, that's worse than, than being single? What's the one thing that's worse than being single? What's the one thing worse than not being married? Marrying the wrong person. Marrying the wrong person. Okay, let's, let's go quick now. When faithful Ruth, Ruth comes back. With Naomi to Israel, when faithful Ruth came penniless to Israel out of all the barley fields that she could find food in gleaning from, where did God direct her? God directed her steps. God directed her to, to glean, to find food for her and Naomi in the field of Boaz. Who was Boaz? Boaz was a wealthy farmer. Boaz fell in love with her. Ruth gave Naomi a a grandson because of that. Ruth and Boaz fell in love and got married because God directed Ruth's steps. Uh, Ruth went from poverty to prosperity, from curse to blessing because she was faithful to God. She was a loyal love uh, of her mother-in-law. She showed loyal love Love to Naomi. Write it down. Will you show loyal love to your spouse? God promises to bless the faithful. God promises to bless marital lifetime lovers. Now, i got to warn you about something. If you remain committed to your marriage, if you remain faithful to your spouse, i got to warn you, there's some things you're going to miss out on. You're going to miss out on the pain and the heartbreak of divorce. You're going to miss out on the wranglings over visitation and custody rights. You'll miss out on somebody hearing somebody else being called daddy or mommy by your children. You'll miss dinners alone and lonely, terrible nights. But if you'll keep your vows, if you'll determine to keep loving one another, If you'll remain best friends (laughs) who look at one another and say, I want to grow old with you. You're going to experience a home full of peace. Uh, You'll create happy memories. You'll hand down a legacy of loyal love to your children and your kids' kids. You'll experience the joy of embracing a love that is tested and tempered like steel. You'll have memories that'll last a lifetime. For a marriage is far more than a legal contract. A marriage is a spiritual covenant. God was at your wedding. He was the unseen witness. He was the unseen guest. He was the unseen marrying pastor. But God has joined together. Let no one put asunder. Faithful followers of Christ are marathon runners in the race of faith and not sprinters. Let me speak to everyone now, married or not married. Hebrews 12.1, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. What's the difference between a sprinter and a marathon runner? A sprinter puts on a burst of speed and then is spent, burned out. A marathon runner keeps putting one foot in front of the other. A marathon runner keeps running despite the fact that every muscle in his or her body is crying, Stop. Uh, They're still going. Uh, They're still going. Uh, They're still going. They're going to finish strong. And that's how Jesus wants you and I to be, Christian, to keep running the race that's been set before you. Be a Timex, Timex Christian. I'm going to date myself now. How many remember when they take the Timex watch in the TV commercial, the black- and white TV commercial, and the elephant would lift up its leg <laughs> and the Timex watch would be put down there, and the elephant would stop down, and the Timex watch would be lifted up, uh, And the, the, the commentator would say, "Takes a lickin and keeps on ticking. Is that you Christian? Are you a Timex Christian? All of heaven looks down. uh, All the halls of hell look up uh, as they see you're running the race that's been set before you. And all of heaven and all of hell say, takes a licking and keeps on ticking. (laughs) I want to be a Timex Christian. I want to finish strong. How about you? Praise the Lord. But we can't, we can't do this through our own efforts. Hebrews twelve two. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured, endured, endured the cross and has sat down at the right hand of the Father. Fix your eyes on Jesus. He'll encourage you. He'll empower you. Listen, when you lose your job and the boss says don't bother taking off your coat, your services are no longer required, fix your eyes on Jesus and keep running the race when your friends betray you, when your friends hurt you, and even talk about you on Facebook, uh, fix your eyes on Jesus and keep running the race. Uh, when the doctors say there's no hope, there's no cure, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the Perfector of your faith. He is the one that has said in his word by my stripes, you shall be healed and made whole. Uh, When the crowd whispers in your ear, if it feels good, do it. Everybody else is doing it. Fix your eyes on Jesus and keep running the race that is set before you. And even when you fall down, even when you fail, even when you blow it, even when you sin, and even when you fall down and say, help, I've fallen. And I can't get up cry out to Jesus he'll get you up he'll forgive you he'll cleanse you he'll give you grace he's not out to condemn you he's not out to disqualify you he wants to grace give you and cleanse you and cause you to get up and walk and run once again and then there'll come a day if you keep your eyes on Jesus There'll come a day as we're walking and talking uh, with the Lord, as we're running the race that has been set before us, as we fix our eyes on Jesus. There's coming a day, my Bible says, that the eastern skies will unzip uh, and He will descend with a shout. Uh, and unbelieving uh, ears cannot hear it but blood washed ears uh, will hear it blood washed eyes uh, will see it Uh, Jesus will descend with a shout with the voice of the archangel the trump of God and the dead in Christ will rise first and we which are alive and remain will be caught up in the air to be with him forevermore will you give him grace and glory hallelujah amen Keep running the race. Keep your eyes on Jesus. No turning back. No compromise. No caving in. No copping out. If you want a joyful life, never put your total faith in people, but in our faithful, loyal, loving Lord. The pastor was preaching, and one of his preaching points had a rhetorical question that did not need to be answered. He shouted out, Who is the perfect man? Who is the perfect man? Somebody tell me, who is the perfect man? Expecting the crowd to shout out, Jesus. A shy, introverted, nervous man stood up, and the pastor was surprised, and he said, Sir, you mean to tell me... You know who the perfect man is? And the nervous man said, yeah, my wife's first husband. My wife's first husband. If you always count on people, if you put your total trust in people, even your loved ones, to 100% measure up to your expectations, they're going to let you down and guarantee you a miserable life. There's only one that will never leave you. There's only one that will never forsake you. He is here this morning. You think marriage is tough? You think growing old with somebody day in and day out is tough and getting along with one another? Huh? She doesn't, you know, the old gray mare ain't what she used to be. And teddy bear acts and looks like a bear instead of honey bunches. You think marriage is tough? The road to the cross was a bloody road, it was a horrendous, nightmarish experience they spat on him, they ripped his clothes off, they mocked him, they beat him, they punched him out, he was hit over the head with wooden sticks, they laid upon him innumerable stripes and whippings, Then they nailed him to a tree, and they mocked him even further, and every blood that a drop of blood that dropped from that cross, said, I love you. I love you. You think marriage is tough? The road to the cross was horrendous. He did not enjoy it. He endured it for the joy that was set before him. What was that joy that you and I might know him and walk with him and talk with him throughout all eternity? He saw you, he saw me, and he loved you. He went the distance. He didn't throw in the towel. He wasn't a dropout. He didn't go A-W-O-L. He hung upon the cross until he cried out, It is finished! it is finished not a cry of defeat but a cry of victory this morning as cindy comes to the keyboard i ask you i ask you this morning is it finished is it finished in your life what is finished the curse of sin is finished because the blood of jesus Hallelujah, will never lose its power. What is finished? The curse of of disease and sickness. Because by his stripes, we are healed. What is finished? Loneliness, abandonment. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. What is finished? We're no longer orphans. We've been adopted into the family of God. We're king's kids. What is finished? Death, hell, and the grave are finished because opened up for us, the blood-bought king's kids, is a highway to heaven. What a day that will be when the lover of our soul, we shall see. How about it? Isn't it time that you said yes to Jesus? Father, I ask and pray right now as every head is bowed and every eye is closed. I ask right now that Holy Spirit of God that you would perform spiritual surgery. That you would knock upon hearts' doors. You will not barge into our life but you do some loud knocking at times. Knock right now. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, and please no looking around in the reverence of this moment. What do you do with love like the love of Jesus? This morning, an invitation will be given, and you will go on record you will go on eternal record as either accepting or rejecting the love of Jesus for you at the cross. He didn't give up. He didn't stop. He didn't drop out. He finished His course. He died for you. He shed His blood for you. And then He astonished the halls of hell by resurrecting from the dead in victory and triumph. We don't worship a dead Savior, we pray to a living Lord. How about it? Isn't it time you would say yes to Jesus? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you're not in right relationship with God and you want to be, if you're not sure that heaven is your home and you want to be sure, I'm going to pray a prayer. A prayer that will save you, change you, and rearrange you, and give you a home in heaven. I'd like to include you in this prayer. If you want to be included in this prayer, as heads are bowed and eyes are closed, just lift up your hand right now. This is a sign of your faith. This is not about joining this church. There's nobody that will embarrass you. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you want to be included in this prayer, lift up your hand high so that I can see it. This is your time to choose Jesus. God bless you, sir. I see that hand. God bless you, sir. I see that hand. How many more this morning? How many more this morning? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Everyone pray with me right now. Make this prayer your prayer. I want everyone to repeat this prayer after me, especially those who lifted up their hands. Would you pray it right now? Dear Jesus, I come to you and confess I am a sinner. But Jesus, you are my Savior. I believe you died for me. You paid the price for my sins. I believe you rose from the dead with resurrection power, resurrection life. I want that life, Jesus. A new life. A changed life. Jesus, I invite you into my heart. Into my life. Lord, do some housekeeping. Do some cleaning. Make me a brand new person. Thank you, Jesus. Then I'm born again, then I'm made brand new. I thank you Jesus, that I am saved. In the name of Jesus, I pray this. Amen.